Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, that we can worship you, that we can glorify your name, that we worship you, Lord, in spirit and in truth. Lord, we thank you for the freedoms that we have to proclaim your gospel, your truth to one another and to the world around us. Lord, help us to spread this word, to not hide it, but to live it openly and to glorify you in all that we do and think and say. And so, Lord, be with us today. Open up our hearts and our minds to your truth. Pray that we would be built up the power of your Holy Spirit through your word, that you would unify this fellowship, that you would strengthen our faith, that you would help us, Lord, no matter what we're going through, to cast our cares on you because you care for us. Help us, Lord, to understand, to comprehend, Lord, your love, your love that surpasses knowledge. It's incomprehensible, Lord. So we thank you for your love. We thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. Help it to be new and afresh every day and today, Lord. So bless this message and encourage our hearts. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Title of today's teaching is The Ultimate Honor. The Ultimate Honor. Romans 13, 7 says, Render to all what is due to them. Tax to whom tax is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. And honor to whom honor. Today or Technically, tomorrow is Memorial Day. Some people just use it as an excuse, I think, to play cornhole and hang out, and that's all fun and games, and we're probably going to do something like that later today, go to the arcade and hang out with the family. And But what's behind Memorial Day? I want to look into that a little bit today. I want to talk about honor. I want to talk about dishonor, and I want to talk about the ultimate honor. So I'm going to go in a couple different directions and then tie it all back in at the end to the ultimate honor. Memorial Day, originally called Decoration Day. Some of you might know the history on this. Decoration Day because they were decorating the graves with flowers and wreaths and flags. It was widely observed May 30th, 1868 um, to to commemorate the sacrifices of the Civil War veterans, the soldiers who gave their lives in the war, and this was a proclamation made by General John A. Logan. After World War I, it became an occasion for honoring those who died in all of America's wars, and so here we are today honoring those who have fallen in battle selflessly in all of the American wars. Jesus said, John 15, 13, he said, greater love has no one than this than to lay down your life for your friends. We don't, or at least people shouldn't, honor those who rob a bank or steal things or when a criminal gets shot and killed. We don't honor that, right? That's wicked. That's against God's law. That's for selfishness, selfish ambition. We don't honor people who break into others' houses and get shot and killed. Now, there's people in this country and in this world that are starting to go that direction to where they'll honor those that don't deserve any honor whatsoever. Um, But we do honor people and we should honor people biblically who selflessly, self-sacrificially give their lives to save others. That is something to be honored. We honor men like Michael Mansour. Perhaps you've heard of him. On September 29th, 2006, In Ramadi, Iraq, he was on the roof with his fellow Navy SEALs when a grenade was thrown right at his chest. The grenade fell to the ground, 
and he was the only one by the exit. He could have ran. His fellow Navy SEALs were trapped. They saw this grenade, their life flashed before their eyes, and there was Michael Mansour. He jumped on the grenade. He protected those who were around him, and he died 30 minutes later from the blast. He was posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor. I always get choked up when I hear these stories. There's something inside of us that says that's good, that's right, that's noble, that's honorable. Now, why is that? Well, we know the answer to that. They're exhibiting Christ-like, selfless, sacrificial behavior. Nearly every branch of the military recognizes that honor is one of their core values. The Navy, the Marines, honor, courage, commitment. In the Army, loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, personal courage. These are their core values. The Air Force, they have an airman's creed where honor is included. The military understands that honor is at the core of what they do. Yet in our day and age, there seems to be a disconnect. There seems to be confusion in our world regarding honor. Now, over and over in the scripture, it says, children, honor your father and mother. You know, in the Old Testament, if you didn't honor your father and mother, if you blaspheme their name, if, if you went against them, you were to be stoned right there on the site, stoned to death. That was under the Old Covenant law. That happened under the, co- the Sinai Covenant. There seems to be a lack of reverence, a lack of respect, a lack of honor, and I'll talk about that in just a minute. The New Testament word for honor is time, T-I-M-E is the transliteration, Time, that's the noun form or the verb is temao. It means to pay respect. It speaks of perceived value, worth. Literally, at times, it's translated as price, the value or weight assigned to something. In Matthew 27, 9, it states, Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, saying, And they took 30 pieces of silver, the price, temao, or time, the price of the one whose value had been set by the sons of Israel. That was the price they put on Jesus. Judas went to betray Jesus, and they said, this is the price, 30 pieces of silver. That's what they considered Jesus' value worth, 30 pieces of silver. One commentator states the the reward was relatively a small one, apparently about the market price of a common slave. Another commentator states, it's not unlikely that this sum was fixed on by them to show their contempt or their dishonor of Jesus. They regarded him of little value. Little value, little honor, little respect for the creator of their souls, the one who died for them, the one whose arms was outstretched to them, saying that I'm willing that you would be saved, but you are unwilling. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kills the prophet stones, those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you together as a hen does her chicks. You were unwilling as he's weeping over Jerusalem, as he's weeping over those who considered him rejected, little value, dishonored him. And that same spirit that was alive in Judas and in these religious leaders of that day is alive and well today. Perhaps you use Google as I do. 
on May 22nd, which was Monday. If you typed in on the search engine Google, you saw the Google Doodle. That's those little things that they have above the search engine bar. It was a picture. It was a drawing to honor Barbara May Cameron. Who was Barbara May Cameron? She's an LGBTQ activist. She died about 15 years ago or so. Middle-aged woman holding a pride flag. This is what you would see on that Google Doodle on Monday. That's what I saw as I was at work looking things up online. She founded the Gay American Indian Club, I guess it was, in 1975. She organized the Lesbian Gay Freedom Day Parade and and celebration in 1980. In 1992, she was given the Harvey Milk Award for community service. This is who our culture honors. You need to respect her. You need to reverence what she has done. And if you don't, well, you are a hater. You are a bigot. You are unloving. That is what our culture is telling us today. You're not allowed to disagree. You only need to celebrate. You need to honor these things. And it's hard because it's all around us. It's hard to avoid. We don't want to single out any one sin. The wages of sin is death, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, Paul in Romans chapter 2, which I want to take us to Romans 1 in just a minute, you know, he says, You who teach others, do you teach yourself? You who are pointing the fingers at others and their sins, are you looking at the law yourself and seeing your own heart? So Jesus says, take the log out of your own eye and then take the speck out of your brother's. We always want to be aware of what's going on in our own hearts, but we dare not go against the scripture and we dare not call sin good. We dare not twist these things as Satan is and try to honor those who are doing evil. I went to eat the other night at the Meridian Mall and Leah and I sat down and right in front of us was, just got to be honest, a, a lesbian couple being out and proud, just doing shameful things right in front of us. And I'm just trying to eat my meal. And it was very disturbing and it was continuous. It mu- we were there for about an hour and for an hour this was going on. And I'm like, do I need to say something? What should I say? And my wife gently encouraged me We need to pray for these people. We need to love these people. And she's right because we have these emotions that go on in our hearts when we see sin in the world. We should have emotions. We should have a a struggle in our hearts. When we hear about babies being aborted, we shouldn't just be passive or um, not have any emotion, nonchalant, indifferent. Oh, it's no big deal. No, we should hate the sin. We should love people. We should love sinners. We should call them to repentance. There's a biblical balance to all of this, and sometimes it's challenging. When I used, used to work at the rescue mission in Oxnard, and I'd see guys selling dope outside the, the gate of our rescue mission, and I'd see the guys inside that I'm discipling and encouraging in the word, and I'm seeing those guys out there pretty much just waving the drugs right in their faces. How, what are, how am I supposed to feel about that? Am I, am I supposed to just be like, oh, that's okay? We, can, we need to love people. I think there's something inside of us that should, there should be a level of righteous indignation. Lord, change those people's hearts. Lord, I hope that they repent. Lord, I want them to turn to you and know salvation. But Lord, 
When we pray the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we're praying judgment. Because when Jesus comes and he sets up his kingdom, he's coming with eyes like a flame of fire, with the sword coming out of his mouth. He's coming in vengeance. He's coming in judgment. And so it's something I've been wrestling with lately, speaking the truth and doing it in love, yet holding to the scripture at work, the PE teacher came up to me. He said, did you see? Look, they're selling Satanist shirts at Target. Look at this pride stuff everywhere. Look at this shirt. And so I looked into it, and I saw that the designer, Eric Carnell, who Target reached out to to sell his materials at their store, has on some of his shirts on his website, Satan respects pronouns. He sells a pin with a guillotine on it with the label homophobe headrest. You can look it up on his website. Homophobe headrest with a guillotine. That's how people in this world view you and I. If you call what they do sin, no matter how nicely, lovingly you say it, you're a homophobe and you deserve the guillotine. Now they might say, well, it's just... You know, it's just a fun thing, and we don't really mean it. They do. Because it's the same spirit that was alive, as I mentioned, in the religious leaders in Judas. They hated Jesus. And Jesus said, don't be surprised if they hate me. They will hate you also. Why did they hate Jesus? Why do they hate us also? Because he stood for righteousness' sake. He was the light that came into the world, and he was rejected by the darkness. The religious leaders... The Pharisees loved the praise of men. They loved money. They loved doing things in secret. Outside, Jesus said, they were like whitewashed tombs. Man, they looked really good on the outside. From the outside, they looked pious. They looked holy. They looked like they were following the Lord. They had really great prayers. They knew the Old Testament like the back of their hands. But behind the scenes, they were greedy. They were lusting after people and all sorts of things and so Jesus called them out on it and they hated him for that and they were looking for an opportune time to put him to death and over and over again they tried to but it wasn't yet his hour he would constantly slip away they would try to trap him he'd slip away until it was time for the scriptures to be fulfilled so if they hate him it's no surprise if they hate us as well we are the salt of the world we are the light a city set on a hill. If you are shining your light in this world, if you are living for Christ, if you are rubbing up against those in this world, you will be hated. You will be hated at times. But we still need to try to balance that with love, respect, and I don't know exactly where that line is. We need to pray about that. Our culture has been given over. Romans chapter 1 describes our culture well. If you'll turn there with me, I want to read a couple verses. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. I used to read this text, by the way, 
I want to read to verse 32, but I used to read this text at my old job and I told my brother-in-law recently because he still works there and I said, if you're able to spread the gospel at the rescue mission, if you're able to encourage these guys in the word, if you're able to point them to Christ, then praise God that you're there. But I go, you know what? There's certain things going on there that aren't of the Lord. And I said, one of them is they don't preach the wrath of God. I said, I didn't hear it one time from any of those other teachers in the two years that I worked there. People don't want to talk about God's wrath anymore. Definitely not people in the world, but people in the church, they don't want to talk about that. They want to talk about love. You might hear sin a little bit. Joel Osteen's starting to say sin because so many people called him out. He's like, okay, I've got to at least mention sin now. But when it comes to the wrath of God, when it comes to passages like this, many want to skip over it. We dare not do so. It's God's word. Verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him. They did not honor him or glorify him as God or give thanks but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory or the honor of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity and their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and all they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. It's a description of the culture in which we live. Three times in this text, it says God gave them over. God gave them over, verse 24. Verse 28, God gave them over. Three times it says in this text, God gave them over. Verse 24, verse 26, I think, verse 28. In verse 21, it says they did not honor God. When you do not honor God, when you do not give him thanks, then verse 29 through 31 is what your heart will be filled with all sorts of lusts of the flesh, all sorts of desires that aren't of God. Friend at work, he says, how do people believe this religion? How, how do people believe in Mormonism? He's so frustrated. 
How do people believe this? Why do people act like that? Why do people burn down buildings? Why do people do that kind of evil? And if you do not honor God, if you do not submit your life to God, your heart will be filled with all kinds of evil. There will be no end to it. And if you sear your conscience long enough and if you live in sin long enough, God will give you over. And that's what this text tells us today. In verse 26, it says, degrading passions. The NIV says shameful lusts. If you have an ESV, it says dishonorable passions. Desires that dishonor God. That's what it means. And that's what's going on in our culture today. People are dishonoring God in so many different ways and it should break our hearts. We should feel like Lot in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 where it says God knows how to rescue those who are caught up in sin all around them. It talks about how God rescued righteous lot oppressed by sensual conduct of unprincipled men for by what he saw and heard that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day with their lawless deeds. I mean, I don't like talking about sin and focusing on sin per se. I don't like talking about the LGBTQ agenda and the woke agenda and everything that they're pushing in our culture and at the schools and on the news. I get tired of hearing it. But when it's shouted from the rooftops and when they want to do parades in your backyard and they want to indoctrinate your kids and Jesus said it's better that they have a millstone hung around their neck and be thrown into the depths of the sea than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. We dare not change the scripture. We dare not say that God's wrath is not coming, that judgment is not coming. We preach the truth, and love. Praise God, there's still somewhat of a remnant or a remembrance of God in our country. I think on our bills, it still says, in God we trust. I looked up that term actually on Google, in God we trust, and it said, whitehouse.gov article, in God we trust, and I clicked on it, and it said, page no longer found. And I was like, wow, I was trying to dig into it. It was just, as if the White House took that article down. We'll keep it on the bills for now, but soon we'll slowly put that to the wayside. That is where our culture is heading. And if we're not careful, if we're not in the word, if we're not reminded as to what God's word says about these things and says about men's hearts, we can slowly be swept away with it. We can be desensitized. We can say, well, it's really not that bad. Or I've gotten to know people who are caught up in this sin or that sin, and man, they are really loving people. Look, they've even adopted kids, or they've even given to the poor, or they've gone to other countries and done this or that. And many a pastor has been swept up in these things as well. Many pastors are now preaching that homosexuality is not a sin, that you can be LGBTQ and you can live in these things, and as long as you love God and love his word, you're saved. You're okay. And many of them have said it's because they've gotten to know people caught up in these things and said they are nice people. There's a lot of nice people on the surface. And that's what Jesus said of the religious leaders. Yeah, you appear nice on the outside. Sure, you're deceiving a lot of people with your prayers and the way you look and talk and talk about the scripture. Inside, you're full of dead men's bones, brood of vipers. Jesus had his strongest condemnation, strongest judgment for hypocrites, for people that claimed to know God but despised him and dishonored him with 
their lives. So while we have freedom in our country, while we have the freedom to live out the gospel and preach the gospel, may God help us to do it because there might come a day, shortly, hopefully not, when we can't. I read about John Bunyan earlier this week. John Bunyan wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. We were watching the movie with my kids not too long ago, the new updated version where Ben Price, I think it is, that Australian comedian, actually, I think he does the voiceover for the main role, Christian. He's been to Blessed Hope. Some of you guys have met him. Pilgrim's Progress, one of the most translated and sold books in the history of the world, John Bunyan, they believe, wrote that book in prison. He had no college education. He was married with four kids. The church asked him to start preaching, and he said, I don't know how to preach. I've never been educated, but I will start sharing. And he started sharing, and year went by, and year after year, and he kept preaching, and he started to notice, wow, I have a gift. I'm going to use this gift unto the Lord. But he wasn't part of the Catholic Church. He wasn't a part of the Church of England. And that's what you had to be a part of that day, or it was illegal. You weren't allowed to gather and preach like we are right now. So they found him out, and they arrested him. And they said, go home to your wife and your kids and just stop preaching. You're a tinker. You work with metal. Go do that. Just stop preaching. He said, I have to preach. God's given me the gift to preach. God's put it on my heart. I must do it. And they kept going back and forth with him. I read his autobiography. Just go home. Like, you're a nice guy. Just stop preaching. Go home with your wife and kids, and you have a blind kid too, and it's going to be a lot for your wife to take care of the, all those kids. He said, I must preach the gospel. I must preach. Round and round and round until finally they threw him in jail. Three months turned into six months, turned into three years. Twelve years later, they let him out. He even said at one point, I feel like I'm pulling down the house on my family. His, his wife later died. He got remarried, and this young gal was struggling to take care of all these kids. But he felt like he would be dishonoring God if he went back to those judges and said, I'll stop preaching. And so he said, before the Lord, I have a clear conscience. And I believe the Lord honored that. And here we read this book, Pilgrim's Progress, which is encouraged and edified and perhaps brought many people to salvation all over the world from a man who committed his life to honoring God. May God help us to do the same. So how do we speak the truth, love sinners, and honor God when so many around us dishonor him? That's a question for us to take before the Lord. Here's another question. How do you honor someone who selflessly and valiantly gave their life in battle? Back to Memorial Day for just a minute. How do you honor these people that gave their life for others? Well, you can talk about their her heroic acts. You can try to emulate their selflessness in your life. You can urge others to do the same. And you can never forget the importance and the value, the, the weight, the significance of what they've done for others, what they've done for our freedoms. And perhaps many will do that this weekend as they remember people that have died perhaps of their own families or friends or someone that they know. But many, though, I believe, will forget the importance, the value, and the weight, and the significance of what Christ has done for us. Nothing anyone has ever done in battle or will ever do in battle compares to what Jesus Christ did for you and I 
on the cross. That was the most loving, the most selfless, the most self-sacrificing act ever done and will ever be done in all of humanity. And it deserves the ultimate honor. Jesus may never be honored by Google and corporate executives and those popular in the world and those in this world with a lot of money. He may never be praised by them, yet he continues to reign. He said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, and one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory and praise of God. Jesus will be honored. He deserves ultimate honor. Ultimate means the best achievable or imaginable of its kind. Honor, highly valuable, worthy. Jesus deserves all honor, ultimate honor. I love the song by Leland, not my son, the Christian band. It's called Highest Price. Prince of heaven, king of all, he descended from his throne and into the world. The son of God was born in my frame. He bore the cross, despised the shame. Clothed in sin, his robe was stained, and by his blood, now I am free, now I am saved. For my Jesus paid the highest price. The Lamb of God was crucified. He deserves my love. He deserves my life. For Jesus paid the highest price. He who paid the highest price deserves the highest honor. There's another song, Jesus Paid It All. Perhaps you've heard of it. Elvin Ahal and John Grape wrote this song. I hear my Savior say, Your strength indeed is small. You have not the debt to pay. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. I always love the stories behind these songs that have really impacted me. My family heard me singing this in the office this morning. When I'm putting together a message, sometimes things just hit me and I can't get them out of my mind. I'll find a verse and I'm just like, this is amazing, and I'll just sit there for an hour and stare at that one verse. Or the Lord will put a song in my heart and then I'm just like, there goes sermon preparation. I'm just going to sing now for the next hour. And sometimes we need to do that. We just need to get wrapped up in God's glory and his honor and what he's done for us. That's what the Lord wants from us. He wants our hearts. He wants our worship. He wants our praise. He doesn't just want us to cross our theological T's and dot our theological I's. Yes, we want to be precise. And yes, I want to put together messages and that are good. But I want to glorify God. I want him to have all of my heart. I want to worship him. And that's the goal of preaching. I want you guys to worship him and honor him and glorify him and be swept up by his beauty, his grace, his glory. I love the song in 1865, how it came about. Elvin Hall, one Sunday, the preacher kept praying very long. He kept going on and on with his message and her mind started to wander. I know this has never happened to any of you guys. You've never had a mind wandering while a preacher's preaching. Definitely is not happening today. You're all focused. I'm loving what I'm seeing. Nobody's falling asleep yet. So here she was. Her mind was wandering. Is this preaching going to be done yet? She's sitting with the choir, and the song starts coming to her. 
and she's writing it down on this little leaflet that she has. And so the pastor goes on and on, and she runs up after and hands it to him and says, Pastor, this is what God's put on my heart. And he said, great, because the organist came up earlier in the week, and he gave me something similar. And so the pastor put the two together and gave us the song, Jesus Paid It All. Really cool story. So God can even work even when you're daydreaming a little bit during church, if it's the things of the Lord to where your mind is going. So some dishonor Jesus with their lives, as we talked about. Some just say he's worth 30 pieces of silver. He's worth that of a common slave. Today, some people just tip their hat to Jesus. Some say, oh, he was a good teacher. He was a moral man. We're not going to bow our hearts to him. He's not our Lord, but sure, he's a good philosophical guy. Do to others as you want them to do to you. He's got some good ethics that he taught, but some hate him. They hate the cross. They hate the message. They consider Jesus of no value. I want to ask four questions in the time that I have remaining. The first three I'm going to go through very quickly. The last one I just want to spend a couple more minutes on. Question number one, what kind of honor does the Father place on the Son? What kind of honor does God the Father place on his Son? And I want to give you about eight verses or so. First Peter 2.4, God says he's chosen and precious in my sight. Jesus is chosen and precious in the sight of God. John 3.35, the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Matthew 11:27 All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. Matthew 28:18 All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Daniel 7:14 Daniel prophesies and he was given dominion, glory and kingship that the people of every nation and language should serve him. Hebrews 2:7 and 8 You speaking of the Father, have crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. John 5, 22, the Father has entrusted all judgment to the Son. In John 8, 54, it is my Father who honors me, glorifies me. Question number two, what kind of honor does the, does the Spirit place on the Son? John 16, 14, Jesus said of the Spirit, he shall glorify me. The Greek word is doxazo, to praise, extol, magnify, celebrate, honor. Jesus says the Spirit celebrates me. He honors me. He lifts me high up, for he shall take of mine and shall disclose it to you. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He magnifies Jesus Christ and honors him. Question number three, what kind of honor does Jesus ascribe to himself? John 5.23, Jesus said that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus said all should honor the Son. But then the question is, well, all, all don't honor the Son. I mean, I look around and people dishonor Jesus everywhere. One man said, a man can no more diminish God's glory or Christ's honor by refusing to worship him, then a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the word darkness on the walls of his cell. You imagine some lunatic darkness. 
The sun is still shining bright. The sun is still all there in all of its glory. And so people can give themselves over to degrading and dishonoring passions. They can live for themselves. They can say, I don't believe in God. Or even if there is a God, he's not all powerful or he's not good. Or they can say and do what they want, yet God still reigns. Jesus is still on the throne and he is still deserving of all honor. The last question, number four, how should we honor Jesus? First Peter, if you'll go there. First Peter chapter two, verses four through seven. Here's how we should honor Jesus. First Peter two, four through seven. And coming to him as to a living stone, Rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, He who believes in him shall not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. Jesus is the chief cornerstone, the most important thing, the one that deserves all honor, ultimate honor, ultimate praise. And Peter three times says says in this text, he is precious. Verse 4, he's precious in the sight of God. Verse 6, he's a precious cornerstone. Verse 7, he is of precious value. If you remember when I talked about the word honor earlier and time, I talked about time being the Greek word, T-I-M-E. We see it in verse 4, verse 6, and verse 7. The word means honor. Jesus is to be honored. Yet why why don't the translators translate it as honor or value or worth just as they do everywhere else pretty much in the New Testament. I think part of the answer is the context. Verse 6, Peter is quoting Isaiah 28, 16. Behold, I'm laying a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone. Isaiah is saying Jesus will be a precious cornerstone when he comes into this world. Yakar is the Hebrew word, rare, precious, splendid, weighty. When David lifted up his crown, it said it had precious stones, yakar. When Solomon looked at the temple in 2 Chronicles 3, 6, it was adorned with yakar, precious stones. And Peter is saying Jesus is a precious cornerstone, the most valuable part of the building, the most important person, precious. When God's word was rare in the days of Samuel, A couple weeks ago, we talked about Hannah and Samuel and how God was speaking to Samuel. God chose Samuel. It says in that text that God's word or God's speaking forth was rare in those days, yakar. His word was precious, some translations translate it, because he wasn't speaking. So when he spoke, it was a precious word that he had for Samuel. And so Jesus is precious. Do we honor him as precious? Do you consider Jesus precious? Listen to what one commentator states 
about the Christian and considering Jesus precious. He says they, quote, they, Christians, are brought into a condition where they can appreciate his worth. To see the value of food, we must be hungry. Of clothing, we must be exposed to the winter's blast. Of home, we must be wanderous without a dwelling place. Of medicine, we must be sick. Of competence, we must be poor. To see the value of the Savior, we must see that we are poor, helpless, dying sinners, that the soul is of inestimable value, that we have no merit of our own, that unless someone interpose, we perish. Everyone who becomes a true Christian is brought to this condition, and in this state, he can appreciate the worth of the Savior. We can be clouded. We can be clouded by material things, comforts. We have cars, we have a house, we have food. And we can be clouded by the worth and the value and the preciousness of Jesus because we can forget that we're poor, helpless beggars. And Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to go through the eye of the needle. It's easier for the camel to go through the eye of the needle than a rich man to enter heaven. We're all rich. And so in America, we can devalue Jesus and what he's done for us and the preciousness of the gift of eternal life and what he's done for us on the cross because we don't realize how much we need him because we have so much. And that should cause us to fear. That should cause us to take a step back and say, Lord, help me not to get caught up into the things of this world to realize that without you, I'll perish. Without you, I'm lost. I guarantee you that those soldiers who were on that rooftop with Michael Mansour realized their condition, realized what would have happened to them had he not jumped on that grenade. They realized the predicament that they were in, and so they want to honor him the rest of their lives. They knew their condition. Some Christians forget. According to a SEAL lieutenant who was 10 to 15 feet away from that grenade when it fell to the ground, he said of Mansoor, quote, he never took his eye off the grenade. His only movement was down toward it. He undoubtedly saved mine and other SEALs' lives, and we owe him. Kristen, Kristen Scharberg of the Chicago Tribune stated, quote, the men who were there that day say they could see the options flicker across Michael Mansour's face, save himself or save the men he had long considered brothers. He chose them. At his funeral in San Diego, seals lined up on both sides of the casket, the coffin as it passed, and as they were going to lay it in the ground, the seals took off their tridents and they pounded them into the coffin, showing honor respect for the man who gave himself for others. I'm always intrigued by these war stories. Acts of valor, bravery on display, self-sacrifice, the camaraderie of these soldiers willing to do whatever it takes for their brothers. The sufferings they're willing to undergo for the greater cause. The desire to live up to the name that they've been given, the oath that they've sworn to. It's noble. It's worthy of reverence. It's worthy of respect. Timothy was challenged to live up to his name. As I get ready to close, Timothy, remember the Greek word? 
Timae, honor, value, precious. That's his name. Timae Theos, precious to God, valuable to God, honorable to God. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, Timothy, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Timothy, live up to your name. Continue to honor God with your life. Others have deserted me, Timothy. Don't desert me. Others will desert God. Don't desert him. Others will live for the flesh and the things of this world. You honor God with your life, Timothy. You stay faithful. You've been enlisted. And if you are a Christian, if you can hear my voice, if you're here today, your name is Christian. You are representing Jesus Christ in this world. And it should be an honor to wear his name. But there's a lot that comes with it. We should want to please him above all else because he's the one who's enlisted us. If you're alive, if your heart's beating, if you're hearing me today, you know that this is hard. You know that honoring Jesus with your life is hard. The writers of the New Testament know this. Peter says, abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. We are in a battle. There's a war going on. Paul tells Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life. You're in a fight. You're in a battle. So in Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Don't consider it a strange thing when all these trials are coming upon you for your testing, Peter says. Don't consider it strange. It's part of being enlisted. So in order to give Christ the ultimate honor he deserves means we go through sacrifice and courage and bravery is involved in pain and trials. But it's all worth it. We have the surpassing greatness of his power, Ephesians 1.19. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that's at work within us. His divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So in closing, let's continue to encourage each other day after day, pray for each other, carry one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. There's 59 one another texts in the scriptures. 59 verses that speak of one another, loving one another, caring for one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another, carrying one another's burdens, and thus fulfilling the law of Christ. Do not allow a soldier to outdo your honor of the Lord and your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Last verse, Romans 14, 7 and 8. Not one of us lives for himself and not one of us dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. That's Christianity. That's the ultimate honor.